Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything that you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that's going to effortless unite your in-person and online sales into just one source of truth. You're going to be able to track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. You could connect with customers inline and online. And Shopify, it's going to help you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns. So we're talking about TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or you can use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for battle tested solutions. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. I say do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash headspace. That's all lowercase. So you're going to go to shopify.com slash headspace to take your retail business to the next level today. I'm going to say it one more time. Shopify.com slash headspace. There's the approach, the practice, and the integration. So how we approach anything is how we approach everything. Have you ever wished you had a wise meditation teacher on speed dial? Someone you can call after a long day. Someone you could lean on for their advice. Someone to listen and help you to see things differently. Welcome to Dear Headspace. Hi, everyone. Here we are together again for another episode of Dear Headspace, a podcast where I sit down with one of our meditation teachers and we answer your questions about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, sort of. I'm Robin Hopkins, and I find myself sitting here with the lovely and talented Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Oh, hey, Robin. I missed you. I feel like it's been so long. I always feel like it's been so long. Do you ever feel that with people? I do. It's like so long, but then like at the same time, it was yesterday. Right. But I, to me, that's always the sign of a connection of a good friendship or relationship when you could not see them for two or three years and then you just pick up right where you left off. I think about that. Often, especially as you said, that sometimes you have a connection with somebody and you know those moments in time where you could just really be fully immersed in a conversation with a friend and time just flies and you could look at the clock and yeah. a few hours later, right? I mean, to me, that's the epitome of being present. But I love what you're saying about having that connection and feeling like no time has gone by at all. Well, in the spirit of not going on and on and on, I don't know if you're aware, Rosie, but in the last few episodes, we've been doing this thing with all the teachers where we're, you know, we're trying to get everybody to to know you all better, like on a personal level, and, and attempt to help out with that. I have a bunch of rapid fire questions that I'm about to ask you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. First crush, I want the name and the age. Oh, I I don't remember his name. He was a 
an actor in a Mexican TV novella. And oh. <laughs> he was he was an older gentleman. But I was just like, I just was in love. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next question. What fictional place would you most like to go? I'm going to say for me, Hogwarts. it's Hogwarts. What? Jinx. Shut up. Yes. Jinx. Let's do I it. I mean, who doesn't want to go who to Diagon Alley? Yeah. All right. What job would you be terrible at? Mm, a hotel receptionist or a hotel host. Interesting. Because people are mean or why? Yeah. Just, you know, a lot of my family members have worked in hospitality and it's, it, I think it wears on you after a long while. Yeah. It's hard to make people happy. Actually, I just thought of another one. Uh, podcast editor. Not good at that job oh. at all. Shout out to Dan Kroll, who makes us sound cohesive and, and fluent and amazing. And I mean, he's fantastic. Dan, big ups to you. Big ups, Dan. Okay. This is, we're asking this question to every single teacher. And I, I absolutely love this. This is an Ash Jones, one of our producer questions. And it's so brilliant. If you had one wish that's not for the betterment of humanity, but for the betterment of Rosie, what would it be? I guess I would wish that the negative talk when something doesn't go right, that that would stop. That's a, no one has said that. And that's pretty, that's a big one. Yeah. Wonder what life would be like without any negative self talk. Wow. I think it would be quite, I mean, I feel like that's one of the main benefits of mindfulness because it just mm -hmm. makes you aware, right? I mean, that's why I love practicing mindfulness so much is because it creates this awareness of what is happening and it allows you the space to have an opportunity to respond differently every time. Yeah. So it's a practice, you know, it's like some, some moments are easier than others and, and sometimes it's really hard. Next question. Uh, what is your favorite thing to do when you're alone? Oh, read. If if I could just be in a room with a book, I would just, I would be so happy. Ugh, okay. All right. So this is our final question to you. This week is Earth Day. And so I want to ask you, when was the last time you climbed a tree? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, now I need to know why and how you were climbing a tree yesterday. Well, there's there's a tree right in front of our, our front yard, and it's got these big, sturdy limbs. And I like to go up there and get a little perspective shift. Oh, well, happy Earth Day to you and your tree. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I am going to speak on behalf of the listeners and say mission accomplished. I think we know Rosie just a little bit better. And now... In an abrupt turn, enough about us. Let's get to our listeners and then their questions because we are chatting about struggling in dysfunctional marriage, dealing with loneliness and loss of friendships, and some advice on waking up early. So we've got a full agenda. So let's play our first question from Lisa. Let's do it. Hi, my name is Lisa and I live on the West Coast of the United States. My question is, I've been married to my husband for over 20 years. And at this point, things have, we've just really grown apart and things have gone downhill. And we, at this point, have a very dysfunctional marriage. Um, we have tried marriage counseling and things just aren't going well at this point. And right now I'm dealing with the struggle of 
what to do with this. We have children, and my biggest concern is my children. And is it worse to, you know, tear their world apart because of what feels like a selfish choice on my part of choosing something better for me, um, as opposed to staying in our current state and modeling for my children a broken marriage and poor communication. So what I'm asking is, how do I navigate this and still stay at peace? I feel very at war with myself right now. So any help and advice would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Well, Lisa, first of all, thank you for for giving us this question. It's a very vulnerable question. And I have to just start by saying I'm a mom and I have two kids and I'm married for 20 years. And the thoughtfulness with which you're approaching this um, about yourself, about the relationship, about the impact on the children, like it's just to me fantastic that you're starting in that place. Yeah. This is a big question. Like let's, let's pull it apart. You've got multiple things going on. There's the level of making yourself happy and trying to work on something and and when to call it. And then there's the impact on kids. And so I, I personally, I always come from the point of view that I don't know that staying in something just for the kids is a smart thing yeah. to do. I think you're modeling a marriage that is broken. And I don't know, I, I want my kids to see something work, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And Coming from a family of parents that divorced when I was 10, I think that my parents... 12 for me. So yeah. Yeah. So, and they tried to get back together for the, I'm doing air quotes for the kids and it just completely fell apart. I just don't know that in a way, setting aside your desire for happiness or peace for the purpose of the happiness and peace of somebody else. I think your kids know that you love them and would do anything for them. But I think that for me, I'll speak for myself. I appreciated the fact that my parents were better parents apart than they were Mm. together. And obviously at the time when you're young, for me, Robin, and I'd be curious for you, of course, I wanted my parents to stay together. Of course, I wanted them to get back. And my parents still to this day are each other's love <laughs> of their lives. And they will still say Aww. it. They were each other's first loves. They have deep, deep love and reverence for each other to this day. I mean, they're friends now. But at the time, it it was difficult as a child to not fully understand why it wasn't working. And I think what I would add to that is sometimes kids, and this could be an antiquated thinking, but there's always this idea that I did something wrong, right? As a kid, it's like, maybe it's me because they have kids and I'm one of the kids. So therefore maybe I'm part of the problem. And perhaps before me, their relationship was so much better and maybe that that could be the case but i think for kids to really hear that it's not because of them and to know that they're going to be loved regardless i think it helps model a m- much more healthier relationship of openness honesty and communication and yeah. i so feel for you lisa because also that's from the child perspective now 
from the perspective of a partner in also a 20-year relationship, I know the ups and downs of what that looks like. And, you know, Tori and I don't have children. So I I think about sometimes having kids perhaps would make things a little bit more challenging or they might make things easier. I mean, you, you don't actually, you don't know what you don't know. Right. But it's, it's a, a matter of being able to really ask yourself what it is that you want for yourself. Because when you begin the path of fulfillment for your own self, your own happiness, your own peace, that integrity allows you to model a way of being for your children, which I think is way more valuable than staying in a relationship because your kids deserve to have two parents that are together. You know, you put the two situations next to each other, a couple that stays that is completely unhappy and dysfunctional for the kids or another set where the parents are separated and both happy and in a peaceful state. And the kids are growing up in in a better environment. So I, I would really weigh it out in in those ways. And at the end of the day, Lisa, this is about you and it's about your desire for happiness and your desire to be in a state of wholeness. And you're obviously having this awareness because you know that there is something that isn't being fulfilled. So I would suggest that you do some more self-inquiry on that front. And it's hard to say, right, to not think about what everybody else wants, including your kids. But I would say you have to start there because that's the only way that you're going to find that fulfillment. You really have to do a lot of work to find out what is best for you. And because I just, I know that when I'm not in a good space, I'm a worse parent. I just am. I've been doing a ton and ton and ton of journaling recently. And I've been thinking about, I was in a work environment that was very unhealthy and it, it put a lot of stress on me. And I know I came home and I, in a lot of ways, took it out on my kids. And I, I have so many regrets about that, but I had to do the work personally to step away from that work situation to start to figure out why I stayed, why I did, you know, I, I had to do the work to look at myself. And now, in doing that, I think I can be, I'm a better parent right now. I'm calmer. I'm more serene. And I, kids just pick up on all that. So it's like, I'm going back to what you're saying, Rosie, of putting the kids first and taking care of yourself. I think it's like two-pronged, like both those mm-hmm. things have to happen. Yeah, I, I think so too. And again, Lisa, I think part of this situation is your ability to be aware of the dysfunction in the relationship. And obviously we don't know the backstory or the details, but I would definitely suggest doing therapy for yourself and being able to just really put your energy into what is going to create fulfillment, what's going to create peace, how you can live your life in an authentic and honest way that is going to feel in alignment with where you want to go and and the life that you want to create from this moment forward. And and none of that again, of course you're taking your children into consideration, but you will be a much better parent and Robin please correct me if I'm wrong cuz I don't have kids, but it sounds like 
being in that alignment will be will provide a better opportunity for you to parent your children in a much more loving and whole way. I I know I'm speaking for Rosie in this, but we know this is all much easier said than done. The ending of something long term like that is so many feelings and there's there's so much to process. And even just like the pressure and the stress of just like dividing assets and friendships get divided. I mean, this is a, a very big thing that we don't I, I just want to be clear that we're not just being like, yeah, take off, you know, like, no, like this is going to be a lot. No matter yeah. what you do, choose to stay or go, there will be a lot to process. And it's just incredibly important that you put support, like Rosie was saying, whether it's a therapist or your friends or support groups or your meditation and mindfulness practice, like you'll need all of the guardrails and all of the support that you can get because it, it it's an incredibly difficult thing to go through, whether it's you or your husband or your kids. It's just a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And it's something that, you know, some people can do it right away and just begin that healing process and others, it it takes time. And I think give yourself space to figure out which one you are and be okay with it, you know? Yeah. One thing I will say, Lisa, about your languaging, in a way, catastrophizing the situation, it it really feels like it's really taking a toll on your internal being. And I really think it's important for you to just look at that from the lens of compassion and specifically self-compassion and really allowing yourself to try to practice non-judgment with the situation at hand and really examine it from the lens of not necessarily this is good or this is bad, but just the situation as it is and not be so hard on yourself. You're having a human experience. And one of the keys of practicing mindfulness is to allow yourself to be in the state of uncertainty and to give yourself the space and the self-compassion for the suffering that you're in and not add the layers of judgment or something breaking apart, like you somehow broke something or you're breaking something. Instead, really just look at the situation as it's no longer serving your highest good. And perhaps there's another way to view the situation so that it does serve your highest good. But just remember to have that deep level of compassion for yourself. But regardless the outcome, just know that we are here with you and we are sending you love and light and 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 just hope, hope that you are able to walk through this and and you get to what's right for you because it's, you know, we know it's difficult. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I wish you the best. And we're here for you. We're your your community and we're here to support you. So remember that. Now we're going to move on to our next question. So here we go. Dear Headspace. Hi, this is Axel. I have trouble doing up early at the morning and just want to sleep again. But I know I have to wake up for meditation to start my day. I just wondering if Headspace teacher have any tips for easily waking up early. So thanks. 
Thanks for this question, Axel. You know, what's funny is I've spent enough time next to you all to know that the first thing that I identified in that question is have to. Yes. I was just going to say, I get this question a lot, actually. In fact, I just had this conversation with one of my dear friends, this idea that I, I have to wake up early or I really would like tips on how to be a morning person because I'm not a morning person. (laughs) And so I always ask the question, what does waking up early mean to you? What is it going to do for you? And I want you to write down what your ideal day is broken down by hour. Like what does your normal day look like hour by hour? And on the next page, what does your ideal schedule look like? hour by hour. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then I want you to go back to the first page where you itemized all of your things that you do hour by hour. And I want you to rate them from zero or one. I absolutely hate doing this to 10. I'm so ecstatic. I love this so much. This lights me up. And go through each hour and give it a rating. And once you do that, come back and ask yourself again, what waking up early means for you? Like what portion of your daily programming will benefit the most? And I think therein lies the intention of why you want to wake up early, what it means for all of those activities. And my only tip then I will say is you start gradually, give yourself so much space, Mm -hmm. set an alarm. The night before you go to bed, just set the intention. I want to wake up early tomorrow morning, but if I don't, that's okay. Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? It's so interesting. I do. I I do. It's so great what you're saying because like I had this image when you said, what are you making it mean of like, I know I personally have this whole idea that if I were to be really a mindfulness expert, I must get up first thing in the morning and I'm like the Dalai Lama and I'm I'm sitting cross-legged and there's chaos going around me, but I'm able to just like power through it because that's what makes me good at it or doing it right. And I had that image of that. Like when you do it, like you said, what are you trying to get out of it versus yeah. – why did you make an arbitrary decision that 6 a.m. is when yogis meditate? Right. They meditate when they meditate. Right. Like I said, I get asked this question a lot. And I also, Robin, like you, am a morning person. I, I love the morning time. I love to wake up early and, you know, do do the things that I need to do because it's such a peaceful time for me. Yeah. So I, I do appreciate that maybe people have that desire, but I would... I would approach this process of creating a new habit like you would approach meditation, right? So meditation, there's there's three parts to meditation. There's the approach, the practice, and the integration, right? So how we approach anything is how we approach everything. So how are you then approaching this new habit And why, right? Asking that first question I asked, like, what does it mean to you? So that really helps identify your approach. And then there's the practice portion where you are then practicing this new process. 
and then allowing the integration to happen, which takes time. Yeah. Go gentle. Go gentle with yourself because I also think you could be fighting biology. I couldn't make my daughter go to bed early if I wanted to. She is just and always has been a night owl. And my son is like me and he is up at the crack of dawn. And we, I don't think we can say it enough. Be kind to yeah, yourself kind. as you try this and, and figure out why you want to do this. Like those are just, I mean, live by Rosie's words, die by Rosie's words. They're amazing. Oh. I, just, I, I don't know take about it that. The, did I set the bar too high? I set the bar too high? <laughs> Let's bring it down <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> well, good luck. And and uh, we, we love to say this, but keep us posted. Yeah. Maybe us send us an Axel. email really early in the morning once you've once you've gotten there. I don't know. We'll be up. Small steps. Small steps. (laughs) All right. It is time for our last question. Are you ready, Rosie? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Hello. My name is Nova from Nigeria. I want to ask two questions. One, how do I have a tough conversation with somebody and not be held back by the fear of losing the relationship? And two, how do I deal with loneliness? So quick story. I met this guy on Tinder in June last year. I was keen and he seemed keen at first, but told me a bit later that he wants to go with the flow and see where things go. It has been eight months and now we seem so close that other people think we're official when we are not. I don't want this to go on anymore and I want to tell him that I don't want PDA anymore, but I am scared of losing the friendship because I don't have any other friend and I just need advice on how I can have the conversation and set appropriate boundaries. Thank you. Nova, this is, first of all, thank you for your vulnerability and your honesty and for sharing so openly with us. It's a difficult thing to go through, especially when there is a romantic component involved. And it sounds like there is perhaps a desire for more and then the fear of losing a friend. And it's hard to be in a position of setting a boundary when the consequence could be loneliness. Yeah. I would ask you, if the bond of this friendship is strong, because knowing that this relationship is a strong relationship or a committed friendship, then you setting boundaries will be something that is respected and acknowledged and appreciated. However, if there is a feeling that perhaps that wouldn't be the case with this person, then I would say maybe this person isn't deserving of your friendship I always like to ask people who are in search of companionship, whether it's romantic relationship or a friendship relationship, what is it that you're looking for in the other that you can't find within yourself? And I think that that's a really great place to start because innately, all of us, everyone here, we have relationships in our lives that serve us in one way or another. Rarely do we ever consider what we bring to the table. We're constantly outward seeking how somebody else can serve us. Rarely do we say, 
okay, I'm going to make a list of what kind of partner I want to be or what kind of friend I want to be, how I want to show up for people in my life. And I think when we start to do that type of self-inquiry, we really begin to draw in those people that will resonate with that version of us, right? I think when we're outwardly seeking and gripping, right? The Buddhists would say the desire, right, is is causing us suffering. Yeah. You know, we we look at relationships like the example of a butterfly landing on the palm of your hand. We have to be so gentle at times. We can admire and we can be in awe, but that butterfly has to be on a surface where they can spread their wings and fly if they want to. But what happens is we become so afraid of this butterfly flying away that we at times crush it with our grip. Yeah. And with regard to the loneliness, I think that perhaps the same question can be considered. You know, the people that come into our lives come into our lives for a reason or for a season. And our ability to be in that state of non-gripping yeah. will allow us to have this process of relationship with the other. We get to learn. We get to experience. Perhaps this person in your life is there for you to have that courage and set the boundary because you care for your own well-being and your highest good so much that it's like, here, Nova, have this opportunity so that you can say, I would like very much for this not to happen anymore. Yeah. And you can set that boundary and it's empowering for us, you know? You know, I'm I'm taking this to a little bit to my personal experience, but all through college, through my 20s, I, you know, I think for me, sexuality was part of the issue. Like I was dealing with that and I wasn't at a place where I was willing to accept who I was, but no one, I was just like alone, like just alone. And I really wanted to be in a relationship and I wanted it so badly And I think it was coming from, like, I didn't really love myself enough. I wasn't feeling confident. And I was, I don't want to, I hate to use the word desperate, but I don't think I was putting out an energy that was open or available or confident or I am here for you. I was just wanted someone to love me versus like kind of what Rosie was saying about who do I want to be. And so I just, Nova, I would just ask you to explore a little bit about you know, because when you like what Rosie said, when you really when you love yourself and when you're content, you can be a really pretty great partner to yourself when you're coming from that space. And then you could do group activities. You could go on hiking trips with people. There's all kinds of things you could do so you weren't lonely. And then you might meet people like minded people. But all of that starts with loving yourself wholly and mm. completely as you are. Mm, mm, mm. I love that. One of the best pieces of advice that I I had from I guess you could say a mentor when I was in my late teens. She said, be your own best friend and be your own lover. And at the time, I'm like, I don't want to be by myself. Why would I do (laughs) that? That is so depressing. What does that even mean? Yeah, but it really stayed with me, especially as I got on the path to mindfulness, to healing, to learning about self-love and the fulfillment that there is in acceptance and 
really treating yourself as your own best friend. I mean, you have a best mm -hmm. friend and you are that best friend. We, yeah. we are all e our own best friends. And I did struggle with, with the same thing, Robin, with being able to find where I fit because you just want to fit into somebody else's box. Yeah. And it's so energetically taxing to try and shape ourselves in a way so that somebody else can love us. I think it's it's yeah. so powerful to really pull back and allow ourselves to accept and be fully who we are without yeah. fearing of being alone. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that the year I met Mary was the year I declared it the year of love for oh myself. My oh, my God. I love that. Like, for many years, I was up to just, like, you know, not loving myself wholly. And guess who showed up? People who didn't love me wholly. You're, you're putting out the energy of, what, of what's going to come back to you. Yeah, exactly. And look, if I could just put my friend hat on for a second, Nova, mm -hmm. you are a queen and you don't deserve yes. anything less than what your heart desires. I think it's important for you to be able it. to set those boundaries. If somebody's wanting more, then they should commit to more and not just try and, you know, get the extra loving because you're open and willing. Like, you need to set the boundary and just let people know who and what you are. Uh, well, thank you again, Nova. And I just want to echo what Rosie said earlier, just the vulnerability of this question. Just thank you so much. Nova, and please keep us posted. We want the updates and we want to hear from you. And the Headspace community is here for you. So don't ever feel like you're alone. All right. Well, thank you, Rosie, for all those incredible bits of advice and insight. I mean, these these questions, I, I know I just was saying how amazing they are, but they just always remind me of how we're all in this together and we're working through our issues, just big and small. And like you said, Rosie, we're a community. Yeah. And I, I just, I loved all of the questions today and I can't help but feel that one of the biggest themes was self-compassion. And my good friend Dora yeah. has a great self-compassion course on the Headspace app. So you should check it out. Big thanks to our callers today, Lisa, Axel, and Nova, and to anyone who is listening right now and thinking, you know, I could use some help. Well, take a moment to submit your question to us. It is so easy to record your question. Just go to sayhi.chat slash dearheadspace and follow the prompts, easy peasy. If we use your question on the show, you're going to get three months free of Headspace and I don't, you can use it, share it, whatever works for you. That's right. And one more thing, as you know, each week we like to leave you with an opportunity to pause and reflect on what you just heard here. It's time to transition from this moment to the next in your day. So as you listen to some recorded sounds of wind at a camp in Colorado, let your mind do whatever it wants to do. Until next time, stay happy. Stay healthy and be kind to each other.
Dear Headspace is a Headspace Studios original podcast. It's produced by Robin Hopkins, Ash Jones, and Scott Sorensen. It's executive produced by Morgan Selzer, Sarah Cohen, Baron Farmar, and Danny Christamy. It's hosted and produced by Robin Hopkins, Kesanga Giscombe, Dora Kamau, Samantha Snowden, and Eve Lewis Prieto. Sound recording and post-production is by Dan Kroll. Music is by Scott Sorensen and Chris Merguia. And a very special thanks to Colleen Lutz. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.